Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi there. I'm Jordan Bonaparte, and on my show, Nighttime, I seek out and explore Canada's most fascinating stories. Nighttime stories are told using intimate discussions with those affected. They left you there. That was the last time anyone ever saw her. Jailhouse interviews with those held responsible. The context of that meeting would be some kind of mass shooting. And any other way necessary to get you to the heart of the story. You can join me by subscribing to Nighttime wherever you get streaming audio. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Hello everyone, I am Rachel Telfor. And I'm Michelle Gower. We are the hosts of a new true crime podcast. It is called Children of the Void. The Void refers to children who are missing. And children who have died under mysterious and suspicious circumstances. Sometimes parents know nothing about what has happened to their child. And sometimes they seem to know more than they let on. Like Casey Anthony. And the John Benet Ramsey case. We are determined to do our part to find missing children. And the truth when the story of their disappearance doesn't hold up. Together, we will blast the shadows with light so that no more children disappear into the void. Children of the Void debuts in September. Join us so we can all make a difference. Please subscribe. Until then, I'm Rachel Telfor. And I'm Michelle Gower. You can catch Children of the Void on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Don't put too much stress on your first kiss. It'll happen, but like... It gets it gets better or funnier and like <laughs> Yeah.
And it only gets it only gets magical if you're actually in love with the person, you know, like later yeah. on after you've yeah. kissed them a lot. But yeah, yeah. usually the first That's kiss. True. I prefer women, but I want a guy to force himself on me. I am open to trans women doing the same, but I don't see too many of them wanting. Oh, some of them do do like work off the side because like some sure. of them are actually sex workers. So like there's never a shortage for someone to take take a nice 40 year old hairy man uh aside and you know take him <laughs> just, just really right. take him <laughs> the like, there's want awesome. is one last kiss but she won't let me have it i want to get over her but i can't i need help hey this is morgan rector join me and my co-host rosanna chilton for the Confession Post podcast. ConfessionPost.com is a website where users post highly personal content anonymously for the reading pleasure of other users. On this podcast, Rosanna and I read confessions from the site and give our analysis. You can listen to the Confession Post podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hi guys, thanks for listening. Thank you as well to those of you who donate to the Patreon account. I've launched a campaign to raise funds to buy a new iMac. My current computer has been in use for over 8 years, and it is affecting my ability to create new content. As previously stated, my Patreon account can be found at www.patreon.com slash Leader One, L E A D E R O N E. For those of you who would prefer to make a one time single donation, there is also the option to send money to my PayPal account. The email address to send it to is Morgan Rector, my last name spelled R E C T O R, 331, Morgan Rector 331 at hotmail.com. Remember, any amount is fine. If one dollar one time is all you wish to donate, it would be gratefully accepted. Thank you for all your support, whatever forms it has taken. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Human Monsters. Part 1. Humble Beginnings Skylar Annette Niece was born on February 10th, 1996 in Morgantown, West Virginia. Her parents were Mary and David Niece, an administrative assistant in a lab and a product assembler at Walmart, respectively. They were a working-class family who sometimes struggled financially. 
Though there were regular financial difficulties, there were no shortfalls of love in their family of three. They were a very happy family. When Mary met David, it was love at first sight. He had been a radio DJ, and he was her celebrity crush. When he laid eyes on her for the first time, he felt he had never seen a woman more beautiful. They began dating shortly thereafter, and soon fell in love. When Mary discovered she was pregnant, she was not elated so much as anxious. She did not believe she was parent material. She chose not to terminate the pregnancy, though. When the baby girl who was to be named Skylar was born, all self-doubt melted away. This was another instance of love at first sight. To quote Mary, The first time I saw her, yes, that was the greatest moment of my life. It was instant love. Mary was still the worry wart when it came to major life decisions, and that was true when David proposed marriage. Mary wasn't sure that she wanted a husband. She wasn't even sure she wanted to live with him. However, when Skylar was born, she decided it would be best to move in with him. Mary and Skylar were very similar in personality. They were stubborn, had a very strong sense of justice and fair play. They were also short-tempered. Skylar also had unwavering ambition. Once, when Mary and David took Skylar on vacation, Skylar wanted to go swimming in a pool. She was only three years old and had not taken lessons, so David was reluctant to let her swim. Skylar insisted that she could do it, and decided she would not be stopped. It's a quality that can take a person far in life. David and Skylar were more like best friends, playing games all the time. The relationship between Skylar and Mary had a more serious tone, though it was just as loving. Skylar described her relationship with and feelings for her mother in her journal. My mom, of course, is the most important person in my life. She not only cares for me, but she also listens to me, and I know I can talk to her. I think it's important for parents to not only take care of their children, but to also make sure their kids can talk to them. Skylar never resented her parents for their inability to buy every toy and article of clothing that was trendy at any given moment. Besides, materialism didn't distract her like it did with so many of her peers. She was more concerned with issues like climate change and human rights. Her passion for justice motivated her choice to become an attorney. Among many other characteristics, Schuyler was noted for her empathy for the underdog. In the words of David Neese, Schuyler became their world. Schuyler would tell them she loved them each and every day. It became routine, but it never got old. Sometimes when David cracked homophobic jokes, she would chastise him. On one occasion, she would punch him in the shoulder and say, Stop it, Dad. They're people too, you know. She would influence his thinking on many issues. Schuyler's first best friend was a girl named Morgan Lawrence. They met in preschool. Their friendship lasted the rest of Schuyler's life. They dreamed of being bridesmaids at each other's weddings. 
they made that vow to each other while they were still little girls. Another close friend was Daniel Hovater. David did odd jobs for his mom, and Skylar and Daniel would play together while he worked. Skylar confided in Daniel, which was not a regular occurrence with most people. She was a very private person. Sheila Eddy befriended Skylar when they were in second grade. Their mothers knew each other since their teens, so it was inevitable that they would at least know each other. They were both only children and also grew up in working-class households. This friendship would become very significant, and Shelia would become a leading character in the story of Skylar Niece. Shelia was known for her eccentric behavior, like standing when she ate. She was also known for craving attention and going to great lengths to get it. Rachel Schof was another friend of Skylar's. She ingratiated herself to children from more affluent households. Her family were working class. Though she was nervous when away from home, she was kind and nurturing toward other children. She even volunteered at the Special Olympics. Rachel wouldn't tolerate any bullying that was directed at special needs children. Skylar was all common sense. She was baffled by David's love of football and his frustration when his favorite team lost. One time, when he vented his frustration about the failure of one of his team's players, she said, Daddy, what do you care? So they lose. Why get all worked up about it? This stuck with him. Aside from her family, Skylar's closest relationships were her friendships with Morgan, Daniel, and Shelia. Outsiders who observed Shelia's behavior were not quite so taken with her. Some girls have described her as mean and controlling. In her presence, Skylar's behavior changed. Even David and Mary noticed this. It drove a wedge between Skylar and Morgan, and they eventually drifted apart. The terrain of teenage social networks can be difficult to navigate, with rejection and bullying as potential hazards. One day at school, a number of kids loosely connected to Skylar decided to go see a movie. A friend of Morgan said, Hey, just tell Skylar we're not going to go. Morgan assumed that because Skylar was around when the idea was proposed, she would be included. Most of Morgan's friends were not close to Skylar. It was partly a class issue. These kids came from white-collar households, and because of their parents' income, their pockets were bottomless pits of disposable income. Kids like Skylar Niece, who came from rural, working-class backgrounds, were often referred to as the Dirty Kids, or the Dirties. Morgan's loyalty to Skylar won out. No, no, that's not how that works. Either we're both going, or I'm not going at all. Skylar and I'll do something. Because I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Her friend said, I think it would be awkward if she went. This could be weird. We're not that good of friends with her. Morgan said, Well, I am. I'm friends with all of you. Part 2. The Triumvirate Skylar and Shelia met Rachel Schof at school when they had a class together. 
Rachel made a habit of being present wherever Skylar and Shelia were. Skylar didn't mind. She was a sociable sort and was inclined to be friends with everyone. The three girls became an inseparable trio, and they did not go unnoticed in the hallways at school. Shelia, boy crazy with connections to marijuana dealers. She was always on her cell phone. She had an acid tongue and was very attractive. She didn't know anybody else but Skylar when she started at the school, so she used her feminine wiles to make friends. Despite all this, she was the least fondly remembered of the trio. She was fondly remembered by a boy named Frankie, however. When they got together, they would smoke pot, snort cocaine, and take oxycodone. They even had sex. Rachel, many friends from her childhood. She was very talented as an actress and singer. A humanitarian. Skylar, an honors student with a passion for causes benefiting the environment and the dispossessed. Charming and bright, she was the brightest star. When they came together, they formed a supernova. They craved excitement, and this attribute would create tension, distrust, and disharmony. Skylar accepted the occasional drama as the price to pay for all the good times and partying that came along with it. She took the bad with the good, and it would prove to be a big mistake. Gradually, Skylar would be pushed out of this trio. A marked change came over Skylar. She was constantly angry. She once punched David so hard, she nearly knocked him out. She fought with Shelia on a regular basis, usually because she didn't get her way. They fought in person and online. They began to bicker with each other in the summer of 2011, and this followed a period when these friendships were at the peak of closeness and affection. One day, Rachel hosted a sleepover. It took place on August 16th, and it was raucous enough that Rachel's mother, Patricia, had to intervene and separate them. A while after Patricia fell asleep, the girls began to drink from a bottle of vodka they managed to finagle. Once they were all intoxicated, they began taking pictures of one another. Once that ran its course, Rachel and Shelia began to make out with each other. Skylar drew a line in the sand at making out, as far as the evening's activities were concerned. Rachel and Shelia ran a marathon past that line. So far, it disappeared over the horizon. They removed their clothes and engaged in oral sex. They scissored. Skylar didn't want to stay and watch, but Patricia was known to be violent toward her children, and Skylar didn't want to risk triggering domestic violence by leaving the room and inadvertently waking Patricia. Once Rachel and Shelia finished having sex, all three girls retired to bed to sleep. Once Shelia told Skylar to switch places with Rachel so she could cuddle with Rachel. This infuriated Skylar. Though it was not consciously recognized at the time, this was a declaration of war. This evening marked a turning point in the relations of the three girls. Skylar didn't write much in her diary about the fact that Shelia and Rachel had sex. For her, the occasion was more upsetting because Shelia favored another person over her 
which had become a regular occurrence. Schuyler's anger, the two girls continued to manifest on social media. She wrote several angry tweets without identifying the target of her malice. Still, she wasn't prepared to sever her ties with these girls. Nevertheless, she continued to write angry tweets. She even implied on one occasion that she might out Rachel and Shelia and expose their sexual relationship to everybody in their school. One thing Shelia had that gained her a great deal of leverage over the two girls was a car. She could get her way if she threatened to withhold their vehicular option in an area where there was no public transportation system. The glue that held these friendships together was the good times they had in the past, but the tensions that continued to emerge were prying them apart. At one point, rumor had it that Skylar and Shelia began to engage in fistfights over Rachel. As time went on, Shelia and Rachel's romantic relationship deepened, while Skylar felt more and more like a third wheel. Skylar's friendship with Morgan petered out. It happened because Skylar always wanted Shelia to come along, but Morgan didn't feel comfortable with Shelia. At one point, she said to Skylar, Skylar, I just don't think Shelia is a good influence. You're doing things I've never seen you do. Morgan was referring to such practices as smoking marijuana, sneaking out of her house at night, and various other forms of mischief. She assumed Skylar was engaging in these pursuits to emulate Shelia. Skylar was dismissive when hearing these concerns, saying, Oh, it's fine, it's just high school. Most outsiders could sense that Shelia dominated Rachel and Skylar. Skylar was perceived by her closest associates as being obsessed with Shelia. She even had her hair done so that she would be a brunette which Shelia was. This made it all the more painful for Skylar when Shelia and Rachel excluded her from their get-togethers. One day close to summer vacation at school, a girl named Wendy Evans was studying. Rachel came in the room. They were alone together. It was obvious that Rachel was miffed about something. She said to Wendy, I can't stand Skylar. Wendy was surprised to hear this. She said, Why not? I thought you all were best friends. Rachel said, I can't stand her, but I can't not be her friend. Wendy, why? Just don't be friends with her. Rachel, she's like, so mean. She'll blackmail us and tell all her secrets if we stop being friends with her. Wendy assumed Rachel was being hyperbolic. Wendy, what secrets? They were secrets Rachel wasn't about to divulge to Wendy. Rachel scowled as her disposition darkened. Rachel, at this point, I wouldn't mind if she died. Skylar, Rachel, and Shelia went on a week-long trip to the beach. Skylar and Shelia fought the entire time. Their arguments were so heated that when Shelia returned home, she told Rachel that the plan they hatched together must be carried out. As Shelia said to Rachel, Skylar has to die. Now. When Rachel turned 16, 
The plan to murder Skylar was in the works, and Rachel was helpful to Shelia. Both girls were angry at Skylar because of a series of tweets that implied that she was serious about outing them as a lesbian couple. The earliest stages of their plan were put into action on June 10, 2012. They were serious enough about it that they began to research methods to kill her. Neither of them were knowledgeable enough or experienced with guns, so they decided that knives would be the best bet. One day in class, Shelia said to another student, Hey, do you know how to dispose of a body? The student, Nick Tomaski, said, I don't know. That show Breaking Bad has stuff like that on there. Shelia said, We want to figure out what to do with Skylar. Shelia asked her biology teacher, Mr. Demchak, What kind of acid would you dispose of a body in? Mr. Demchak said, how dare you ask that? Get out of my class. Go to the office right now. Nick Tomaski filled Skylar in on some of the conversations Rachel and Shelia were having about her. I'm just telling you, I heard them ask how to dispose of a body. Then they said how much you get on their nerves, and they didn't like you. Skylar could not accept this as truth. She said, they were probably just playing a game. We always play that game, you know, would you rather? We play with weird stuff like, which way would you rather die? Nick said, whatever, might want to ask them about it anyway. Skylar did question the girls about that conversation. Hey, Nick said you two were making jokes in biology class about wanting to kill me. What's up with that? Shelia reacted with a blank stare. Rachel couldn't make eye contact at all. Her eyes flitted about in all directions. Finally, Rachel said, laughing, Why would we do that? Shelia said, That kid has been smoking too much weed. See? Now there's a lesson for all of us. Don't smoke so much weed. You think people are out to kill you. Rachel concluded by saying, Yeah, you know, you can't trust a stoner anyway. As for the choice of knife, Rachel and Shelia didn't know what type to buy. They opted for what was availed to them in their kitchens. From there, they researched the most effective way to stab someone to death. They decided that cutting the jugular vein would be the best way to go about it, since she could easily bleed out without immediate medical intervention. So, this was decided on as the execution method and likely the easiest part of the plan. Hiding the body was the hard part. Melting the body with acid was proposed, but people would be suspicious if they were asking about how to get acid. So this idea was scrapped. Another possibility they explored was to feed Skylar to pigs. What they finally agreed upon was to invite Skylar to get high with them at one of their favorite spots behind Shelia's family's property. It was a spot that didn't get much human traffic from so they decided it was ideal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey kids, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're going to love. On behalf of myself, Morgan Rector, of one of the most horrific true crime podcasts, Human Monsters, I'd like to ask you this question. Do you like to travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Fun fact, there is a morgue on every cruise ship. After all, People die everywhere. Why wouldn't they die on a cruise ship in the Bahamas? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. Murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by true crime fanatic... Her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation, brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and what-the-fuck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway, and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Mary and David Neese were desolate. Skylar never just disappeared before. She had a rebellious streak, as teenagers typically do, but she never ran off anywhere for days without telling her parents. She also wasn't the type to get into any real trouble, not with the law or drugs. She was working hard to earn a scholarship so she could go to college and get a law degree. She was too responsible and level-headed to do anything to jeopardize that. Police struggled to solve the mystery, but there was little to go on in terms of leads and clues. David and Mary contacted friends of Skylar's, including Shelia Eddy, but nobody was helpful. After this fruitless option, David said to Mary, Now what? 
Mary shrugged and said, We could give it a little time, see if someone gets back to us. David, Mary, she's missing. Mary, okay, then call 911. The phone rang. It was the manager of the Wendy's where Skylar worked. Skylar had not reported for her shift. It was not like her to do that. Mary, call 911 now. Their landline rang again. It was Shelia. Shelia, I need to tell you the whole truth about what happened last night. Mary, what happened? Mary's mind went to dark places. She envisioned Skylar being date-raped with drugs. Shelia, I did see Skylar. She snuck out about 11. Rachel and I picked her up and we went joyriding for about 45 minutes. She made me drop her off at the end of the road so we wouldn't wake you. Mary was relieved to hear this, though relief gave way to consternation. Mary, why do you girls continue to sneak out when we've told you just come to us when you want to do something? You don't need to do this sneaking stuff. We can't find Skylar anywhere. Shelia, I heard. Do you know what happened yet? Mary, we don't know. Later that day, Shelia and her mother Tara went to the niece house and accompanied Mary as she went door to door asking her neighbors if they had seen Skylar. Not only did Shelia not cry, she didn't show emotion of any kind during the search. David and Mary's landlord went through security camera footage and saw Skylar sneak out of her bedroom window before running to the car and being driven away. Shelia said nothing the whole time, until police officer Bob McCauley said to her, Do you know if any of Skylar's friends have cars like this? The images were blurry, but speculation had it that the vehicle was an SUV. Shelia said, No. Officer McCauley took a statement from Shelia. It amounted to this information. 11 o'clock p.m., Skylar sneaks out of the house to joyride with her friends. 11.45 p.m. Skylar's friends drop her off at the end of Crawford Avenue, along University Avenue. 11.45 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. Skylar's activity is undetermined. 12.31 a.m. Skylar is seen getting into the back seat of an unidentified vehicle. At first, it was assumed that the vehicle in the video could not have possibly belonged to Shelia. Two days later, police began to realize that her story didn't hold up. When Shelia told several of Skylar's friends that she was missing, she seemed nonchalant. It wasn't the demeanor you would expect from someone whose close friend had disappeared. Still, Shelia did her utmost to keep up appearances. She distributed flyers with Shania and Chrissy, both friends of Skylar. Meanwhile, David and Mary were torn apart inside by the images in the surveillance video and the helplessness they felt. They were prepared to do anything to find their daughter, but they were devoid of options. Loosely quoting one of Skylar's tweets, all they could do was hope. Police notified them of the possibility that Skylar went away for the weekend. From Friday to Sunday, they waited and waited. They hoped to see her walk through the door. 
They anticipated the roller coaster of emotions that would result. First relief, then indignation that she was so reckless as to put them through that. They clung to the hope that this would transpire, but they also knew Skylar well enough to know that this was unlikely to come to pass. And it didn't. Shelia still showed no concern, and neither did Rachel. While the nieces were searching for Skylar on July 6th, Rachel and her mother Kelly were sunbathing at Cheat Lake. At one point, Kelly noticed a three-inch cut on Rachel's lower right leg. Kelly, what did you do to your leg, Rach? Rachel looked down and shrugged. Rachel, I must have scraped it on the boat motor when I climbed into the boat. Kelly, you need to be more careful, Rachel. Rachel was busy texting. She, she didn't even look up at her mother when she said, I sure do. On July 7th, Shelia and Tara were helping the nieces canvas the area. They walked down the rail trail, a disused railroad track that was converted into a hiking trail. She was more outwardly emotional this time, hugging and crying along with Tara and Mary. The next time Shelia visited the nieces, she asked if she could sit in Skylar's room. Mary allowed this. A few minutes later, she heard Shelia crying. When Mary went to the room, Shelia was on Skylar's bed, hugging a pillow against her chest and crying. Mary sat on the bed and consoled her. Mary sat on the bed and consoled her. Shelia continued to assist Mary and David in the search for Skylar. She was emotional as always, though in retrospect, Mary and David realized her grief was contrived. Another police officer who spotted the holes in Shelia's story was Jessica Colbank. She subpoenaed Skylar's cell phone provider. Records indicated that most of Skylar's calls were made to Rachel and Shelia, especially during the last few hours leading up to Skylar's disappearance. State police were contacted with a request to issue an Amber Alert. The request was denied because an abduction was not involved. Note that Amber is an acronym that stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. This failure was a primary motivation behind the change of the policy and legislation regarding Amber Alerts in the state. Shelia continued to involve herself with the search. She was very inquisitive whenever she showed up at the nieces with Tara. She would ask questions like, Did the police tell you anything new? What have they found out? What are they telling you? Rachel never offered to help. Shelia explained it was because she was away at church camp. Officer Colbank accompanied Special Agent Morgan Spurlock to the Eddie House. Colbank commented on the scene she encountered there. Colbank commented on the scene she encountered there. Present were Shelia, Tara, Shelia's stepfather Jim Clendenin, Shania, and Chrissy Swanson, a distant cousin of Shelia's. As Colbank described it, in the garage just hanging out, sitting on chairs, just chilling. I'm like, okay, your supposed best friend is missing. Why are you sitting here having a good old time? They had actually assembled to watch the first televised newscast about Skylar's disappearance. 
Still, their collective temperament wasn't quite as grave as Colbank expected. She questioned Shelia about some of Skylar's tweets. Shelia denied knowing the story about her cryptic ravings. She asked Shelia if she tried calling Skylar. Shelia said, It just makes me so sad to hear her voicemail, to hear her voice. I can't call her number. Colbank asked to inspect Shelia's car. She also wanted to have a look at vehicles belonging to Chrissy and Shania. Colbank had a hunch about Shelia's Toyota Camry. She thought, this could be it. It really looks like that type of car. Colbank looked back at Shelia. Shelia wasn't looking her way, and she seemed perfectly calm. She thought Shelia's account of the disappearance didn't hold up. What was the point in dropping Skylar off nearly four blocks away from her home? The story was that she didn't want to wake Mary and David but she picked her up close to their apartment complex earlier that evening. Shelia said Skylar was angry and insisted upon being dropped off at that location. She asked her to go through her story again. Shelia gave Colbank details that couldn't be proven or disproven, at least not right away. Colbank went at it from another angle. She said, Why haven't you done more online to try to locate her? Shelia I've been too upset. Colbank, that's bullshit, and I don't believe it for a second. If that were my friend, I'd be blowing up their Facebook page. I'd be blowing their Twitter account up if I didn't know where they were. You know where she's at. So, tell me. Shelia, I told you we dropped her off. Colbank was convinced Shelia was lying. She just couldn't prove it just yet. Shelia's attitude was a giveaway. To quote Colbank, I did not like Shelia from the get-go. Her demeanor was wrong. Arrogant. Narcissistic. But I had nothing, no actual evidence for me to go on. It was just a gut feeling. She also sensed that Shelia was a master manipulator. Colbank became sure of this when Shelia put on a big show of crying and mumbling something about missing her best friend. It was convenient that the waterworks were activated in front of the officer in charge of investigating the case. Tara ended the interview at that juncture. In the meantime, more and more news outlets were assisting with the search for Skylar Niece by airing whatever information that was available. Some information was based on rumor and misunderstanding. One troubling development was that many of the missing person posters were taken down. It happened in a hair salon one day, and it happened to be the day when Shelia and Tara got their hair done there. Jessica Colbank and Morgan Spurlock interviewed Rachel Schof together. Rachel was surly, and many of the details she gave of the events of Skylar's disappearance didn't add up. For one thing, when she mentioned the route they took in the car, Colbank realized her account was geographically incorrect. She also found it suspicious that Shelia was always asking about the progress of the investigation. Colbank told Mary and David not to tell Shelia anything about the case. Colbank suspected Shelia of inserting herself into the investigation as a way to craft an image of an innocent and concerned friend. 
Rachel seemed to be very concerned about choosing her words carefully. Colbank was very interested in knowing what remained behind at the filter. The three weeks following Skyler's disappearance were very taxing for both Mary and David. Hope rose and dwindled from one day to the next, as one rumor or false lead after another was disproven. While Shelia was away in Florida on vacation with relatives, she tweeted Shania to ask how the case was going. By this point, Mary was suspicious about Shelia's M.O. Shania told her Shelia was frightened and concerned about Skylar. Mary didn't buy it. Suddenly, Shania's phone rang. She missed a call from Shelia. Shelia bombarded Shania with text messages. She was begging Shania to call her. Shania called her. Shania, Mary found out I was texting you. She thinks I'm passing info to you. Mary, this was supposed to be about Skylar, but you two are acting like it's all about you. Shelia, is she mad at me? Shania, oh yeah, she's pissed. I don't think she believes you. Shelia, about what? Shania, she thinks you're not telling her something. But you are, right? Shelia, Mary doesn't believe me? Shania, I don't think so. Look, Sheila, you can't lie. Just tell Mary anything you know. Now. Sheila began to weep. She insisted she wasn't lying and that Mary had to believe her. She just had to. Shania held the phone away from her ear so everyone could hear Sheila. Sheila, I've got to talk to her. She has to know I'm not lying. Shania said to Mary passing her the phone. She wants to talk to you. Mary grabbed the phone. Mary, I know when you're lying. I helped cover for you too much. Remember? Mary was referring to all the occasions when she helped prevent Shelia from being disciplined. Shelia kept crying. Mary, remember? I know when you're lying. Shelia, please, Mary, please. You have got to believe me. Mary, why should I? Would you believe you? After a pause, Shelia said, No. September 7th, 2012. Police served warrants on Shelia Eddy and Rachel Schof. Shelia and Rachel were interviewed in separate rooms. A cell phone and a bag of marijuana were found in Shelia's purse. State Trooper Chris Berry recalled what happened next. Shelia immediately began crying, wanting us to throw it away. Throw away the marijuana, get rid of it. Rachel's cell phone was confiscated. She didn't want to give up custody of the phone, but she did, and gave them the password as well. She gave the officers attitude when she did so. Corporal Ronnie Gaskins said, Look, Rachel, you're either with us or you're against us. Rachel became silent. Whenever Rachel and Shelia were questioned, they would call each other to compare questions and answers to make sure they remained on the same page. As if Mary and David Neese hadn't suffered enough, rumors began to spread that they were responsible for Skylar's disappearance. Police investigated them. 
Even family members began to believe that they may have been at fault. The rumor mill at University High School, the school that Rachel and Shelia attended, was in full swing. Sometimes when Rachel and Shelia walked down the hall, a student would yell out, Uh-oh, better step back, murderer alert. In fact, many students at the school were convinced that Rachel and Shelia were the guilty parties. Many of the students began to harass the girls to come clean. They even began to receive threats. Attorneys were retained for both girls by their parents. They retained them in September, shortly after the questioning began. Rachel changed a detail under questioning one day. Shelia only incorporated that change later on. Authorities came to realize they were lying. They would go on to tell other versions of the story that were not true. Rachel and Shelia were due to undergo polygraph examinations. The girls texted each other regarding the procedure. A sample. Shelia. Police station probably gonna fail because of nerves. No big fucking deal. Rachel. As long as you don't fail because you're lying, you can ask to take it again because you were nervous the first time. Shelia. Oh, well, I'm definitely not scared about lying, but it's not like they'd know the difference. LOL. Shelia's responses on two separate polygraph tests were found to be deceptive. Rachel was very jittery before she took hers. On the way to the police station, Rachel got out of her father's car and ran down the street. She wound up in Tara's office. She figured it was the only place where she would be safe. The police were frustrated by the way Tara shielded Rachel and Shelia from the investigation. It could even have been argued that she was eligible for an obstruction of justice charge. A breakthrough in the investigation came when the officers realized that it was a Toyota Camry that had been idling near Skyler's residence shortly before her disappearance. It was more of a hunch than valid evidence, but the investigating officers had to explore every possible angle. At this point, everybody involved in cracking the case was convinced that Rachel and Shelia were lying. One night, Chris Berry paid a visit to the Nice residence. He conveyed to David Nice a need to shake some trees, so to speak. David was amenable to this idea. Barry, I know those girls aren't telling us what they know. I just have to find the right buttons to push. I wanted to arrest them both for obstruction, but Ronnie didn't think we had enough. David, those girls have been lying since day one. Mary, what Dave said, I cut Shelia off a long time ago. Barry, it may be worse than either of you think. I know they read the Team Schuyler 2012 page. I want you to use that. Mind if I sit down? I need to tell you some things. It won't take long. One day at mid-December, Mary Neese wrote a Facebook post that would nudge the investigation forward. A few quotes. The time has come to tell the full Schuyler story from beginning to end as we know it to this point. Schuyler could not stay away from me that long, let alone her friends. Schuyler's two best friends 
were not telling the whole truth. They have continued to withhold information and have been caught in multiple lies to the authorities. This is truly the ultimate betrayal. These girls are more guilty than originally suspected. It looks like foul play has occurred and murder has not been ruled out. Cracks began to appear in Rachel's sanity. She was cutting. She smoked more pot than usual. She would go into crying jags. Whether it was remorse about what she had done to Skylar and her family, or the fear of being prosecuted, she was losing it. A curious event occurred during the time of the investigation. Shania put together a collage of photos that included Skylar and Shelia. It was a Christmas present for Shelia. Though Shelia expressed gratitude when it was received, Shania noticed something strange the next time she visited Sheila's home. When she saw the collage, she noticed that Skylar's images had been removed. In fact, all the photos were thrown into a gift bag. Rachel continued to crack up. She got into an altercation with her parents that turned violent. She punched her mother in the eye. She ran upstairs to her room and kicked holes in the door. She threatened to kill herself. Her parents called the police. By the time they arrived, Rachel was calmer, but her parents took her to a psych ward for evaluation. Rachel was treated on an inpatient basis. Rachel's mother, Patricia, knew that Rachel would miss the FBI interview that was scheduled. Rachel's attorney, John Ann Gotti, instructed Patricia to bring Rachel to his office as soon as she was released. The FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office wanted to talk to Rachel before Shelia could get her hooks into her. Rachel was discharged on January 3, 2013. Her parents drove her to Angotti's office. Rachel met with John Angotti, FBI Special Agent Rob Ambrosini, and Corporal Gaskins. Rachel was terrified. She was no longer the brash and guarded girl they encountered during the months leading up to her committal to the psychiatric hospital. She was not just vulnerable. Psychologically speaking, she was naked. There was nothing left to shield her now. She was raw, and the truth would have its moment of exposure. She said to the officers, I need a wastebasket because I'm probably going to throw up. This is an extract from her polygraph interview, which was conducted by Ambrosini. Ambrosini, was there a party? Rachel shook her head. Ambrosini, did she overdose? Rachel shook her head. Ambrosini, did she choke? Gaskins, well, what did happen, Rachel? A small grin appeared on Rachel's face. Rachel, we stabbed her. Gaskins, I'm sorry, I don't think I heard you right. Rachel, Shelia and I, we stabbed Skylar. Gaskins, are you saying you killed Skylar niece? Rachel nodded. She told the rest of the story, which went like this. July 6th, 2012, 1231 a.m. 
Skylar snuck out of her apartment building and ran to a Toyota Camry parked nearby, where she climbed into the back seat. Rachel and Shelia were up front. Skylar's understanding was that they were about to take a joyride. Rachel was due to go to church camp, so she wouldn't see them for a while. Skylar didn't have high expectations for the evening. She hadn't been getting along with the girls. Whoever was the intended recipient, a tweet written by Skylar to either Rachel or Shelia read, You doing shit like that is why I will never completely trust you. Nevertheless, Skylar still hoped their three-way friendship could return to its roots as a Three Musketeers type scenario. She retweeted her friend Jillian Mulder's message that went, All I do is hope. Shelia and Rachel were laughing and talking up front, without Skylar's input. For a few days, Rachel had been distant and reserved in Skylar's company. Skylar listened to music in the car since she was not included in the conversation Shelia and Rachel were having up front. They pulled into their destination at a wooded area. Skylar was incognizant of the contents of the car's trunk. Paper towels, bleach, handy wipes, clean clothes, a shovel. Those weren't the only concealed items. Rachel and Shelia were wearing hoodies and each had a knife in waiting. The three girls got out and walked a short distance down the road. Shelia went to light a joint, but her lighter didn't work. Skylar's was back in the car. She turned to retrieve it. As soon as she turned her back, Rachel, silent and gesturing, counted one, two, three. Rachel and Shelia stabbed Skylar in earnest. They gouged and sliced into her flesh in a frenzy. It wasn't sufficient to kill her right away. Skylar tried to run, but didn't get far. Rachel caught up with her and tackled her. Rachel and Shelia piled on top of Skylar. Each of them stabbed her dozens of times. Skylar was no pushover, and she fought back as best she could. She grabbed Rachel's knife. She cut a three-inch gash just above her right ankle. Rachel snatched her knife away. She and Shelia continued to stab Skylar as she cried out one word repeatedly. Why? They stabbed and stabbed until Skylar's body grew still after they heard gurgling sounds emanate from her throat. Rachel and Shelia stood above her, ennobled by their dubious victory. They watched her draw her last breath. They dragged Skylar's corpse to the side of the road. They attempted to bury her near a creek, but the soil was too rocky. They covered the body with natural detritus. Once they felt they had buried the body effectively, they got out the paper towels and handy wipes from the trunk. They took off all their clothes and put the clothes that were drenched in Skylar's blood in a garbage bag. The entire operation took three hours. Rachel and Shelia were in a celebratory mood. After wiping themselves clean, they had sex. Having finished this, they put all the bloodied items into bags and got dressed in the clean clothes they brought. 
Rachel was helpful enough by this point that she even showed the officers the scar she got when Skylar cut her. When Rachel was pressed about the motive behind the killing, all she said was, We just didn't like her. Her mother was notified that her daughter was directly involved with the murder of Skylar Niece. January 4th, 2013. Sheila Eddy's tweets suggested that something was not right in her world. First time I've ever been speechless. Holy fuck. Someone please explain to me why I get myself into situations I can't get out of. I am so sick of everything. Like, I don't even know how to deal with reality anymore. The tweets would have taken on a darker tone if not for the event that transpired that evening. When the doorbell rang, Shelia opened the door and found three state troopers standing before her. She said, Can I help you? Gaskins held some documents aloft. He said, We have a couple of warrants. Shelia called her mother on her phone and said, they're here, Mom, the state police. They say they have warrants. Gaskins said over the phone to Tara, it's for electronics and knives. Tara asked him if he, they would wait until she got home. Gaskins said, we can do that, but we need to wait inside to make sure Shelia doesn't hurt herself or anything. Two vehicles pulled up. One was a car carrying four FBI agents. There was also a truck to carry the confiscated items. When Shelia saw the truck, she said, What's all this? Gaskins gave her the phone. Shelia said, Mom, what's going on? Her voice was quavering now. She said in response to Tara, But what do they want? When Tara arrived, she had a look at the warrants. She saw the word murder spelled out in black and white. She gave Shelia a searching look, imploring her to confirm or deny that she was guilty of the offense of which she was accused. Every knife in the household was bagged and tagged. Shelia's bedroom was searched. Shelia's car was impounded. Though Shelia's devices were confiscated, she had gotten a hold of another and tweeted, Life fucked me yet again. Rachel and Shelia went free for the time being since police had not been able to view Skylar Nice's body. The winter snow concealed it, and Rachel couldn't remember where it was placed since it was dark when it was dumped and it happened so long ago. The public were outraged that the girls were not behind bars. In the meantime, DNA testing was underway by the FBI to determine if the girls were involved in the murder. Unfortunately, it was a process that could take months. January 16, 2013. Gaskins and other officers were dispatched to the area where Skylar Nice's body was alleged to have been dumped. This time a cadaver dog joined in the search. When the dog's collar with the GPS unit fell off, an officer traced their steps back to where it resided. When he found the collar, he discovered that Underneath rocks, branches, and other natural debris lay human remains. A full autopsy would need to be performed before the body could be confirmed as being that of Skylar Niece. The reason for this was that her head had been removed.
Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of the podcast Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow Serial Killers on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. 17 years to the day of Skylar's birth, David and Mary Niece learned that their daughter had been murdered. A public vigil was put together and was attended not just by relatives and friends, but by complete strangers. The community had been touched by the case, and to some degree, it had become a part of their lives. In February 2013, the House Legislative Committee of the State of West Virginia voted to pass Schuyler's Law. David was present. Mary wasn't emotionally prepared for the event. David missed so much work because of the investigation, he couldn't afford to buy gas for his car to make the trip. He received a donation from Commissioner Tom Bloom for this purpose. This law ensures that if a child is reported missing and or in danger, an amber alert must be disseminated, regardless of whether or not there is evidence of an abduction. The vote received unanimous support from all sides, with a tally of 98 to 0. David gave a speech to the assembly. The politicians were unaware before that day that Schuyler served as a page in the assembly. When David arrived at the building, he made a beeline to the office of Delegate Charlene Marshall. Tom Bloom introduced him to Marshall. David said to her, I want you to know, Delegate Marshall, that I'll always cherish the photo of you and Schuyler. Marshall did not recall meeting Schuyler. David said, You probably don't remember. Schuyler was your special page when she was ten. The hair on Marshall's arms and neck stood straight up. David said, Mary and I, we were sitting up in the balcony that day. Schuyler gave you your lunch. She was so pleased. You were like a hero to her. Marshall got a little choked up. She said, Well, she did something for me then, and now I'm trying to do something for her. March 13, 2013. The U.S. Attorney's Office made a formal announcement regarding the Schuyler Niece case. It went as follows. For immediate release, body recovered in Pennsylvania identified. Wheeling, West Virginia, United States Attorney William J. Ionfeld II announced today that the body recovered in Wayne Township, Pennsylvania 
on January 16, 2013, has been scientifically identified as that of Skylar Nice. Nice is the Star City, West Virginia teenager who was reported missing by her parents in July of 2012. The testing of the body was conducted by the laboratory of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The investigation into the disappearance of Nice and her subsequent death is ongoing. At this point, the authorities only needed to take one more evidentiary step to charge Rachel and Shelia. Skylar Nice's skull was found by state troopers. May 1, 2013. Rachel Schof and Shelia Eddy were arrested for the murder of Skylar Nice. That very day, Rachel turned herself into Monongalia County Circuit Court. She and her lawyer went to a brief hearing, where she pled guilty to second-degree murder. When police arrived at Shelia's house, nobody was home. An officer called Tara. She said she and Shelia were having a meal at Cracker Barrel. Police took Shelia into custody at the restaurant. The FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit at Quantico, Virginia, examined personal possessions like journals that belonged to Rachel Schof and Shelia Eddy. Rachel was found to demonstrate sociopathic tendencies, while Shelia presented with attributes of a psychopath. Shelia was remanded to a juvenile detention facility. June 23rd, Mary and David Niece, along with family and friends, dedicated a handmade bench to Skylar at the spot where her body was found. A sign on the bench read, In loving memory, Skylar A. Niece, 1996-2012. Skylar's remains were still held by the coroner's office, which would not release them. They had still not confirmed the official cause of death. Mary and David wanted to give a funeral. After some picketing by the nieces and their supporters, the coroner's office relented. July 3rd, a private funeral service was held. Skylar's remains were kept in a sealed bag they were not permitted to open. Mary, David, and Skylar's aunt, Carol, told Skylar how much they loved her. They told her how much they missed her. They said they were happy she was home. They told her that friends, real friends, were thinking of her, not just in town, but throughout the state and country, and even around the world. They vowed that justice would be served appropriately. They told her about Schuyler's Law. David and Mary decided to have Schuyler's remains cremated. A memorial service was held at Kingdom Evangelical Methodist Church. There were more than 1,000 attendees. On display at the front was a large framed photo of Skylar that contained her ashes. David drew everyone's attention to the portrait, he said, addressing Skylar directly. No one can ever hurt you again, baby. September 4th. A judge ruled that Shelia Eddy would be transferred from juvenile to criminal court, thereby designating her as eligible to be tried as an adult. This meant that her name could be revealed in the media. September 17th, the date of Shelia's arraignment. 
After the judge established with her lawyer that she understood the nature of the charges, the pleas were entered. Shelia pled not guilty to one count of first-degree murder, one count of kidnapping, two counts of conspiracy to commit kidnapping and murder. David and Mary Niece and Skylar's Aunt Carol were present. They wept as they heard the pleas. David has said that she appeared to smile at him, either to reassure him or to taunt him. October 15th, Shelia's second hearing. Her lawyer filed a few motions. Among the requests were a request for bail, a change of venue, suppression of evidence, have the trial moved to another county, have Rachel Schoep's testimony suppressed due to her supposed emotional instability, have all the charges dropped, alleging prosecutorial misconduct. The judge was swift in denying the motion to release Shelia on bail. All the other motions were rejected as well. January 24th, another hearing. This time, Shelia pled guilty to the charges. Shelia did not apologize or express regret for her actions. Her attorney pointed out that Rachel and Shelia decided to kill Skylar when she threatened to expose their sexual relationship. Forensic investigators found traces of blood in the trunk of Shelia's car. David Neese read a prepared statement. One quote. My life and my wife's life has been drastically altered. We are no longer a family. Shelia was sentenced to life in prison. She will be eligible for parole after serving 15 years in an adult prison. February 26, 2014, Rachel Schoff's hearing. Unlike Shelia, she made a statement to the nieces. The statement... I am so sorry. I don't know if there is a proper way to make this apology because there are not even words to describe the guilt and remorse that I feel for what I've done. The person that did that was not the real me, not the person I am, not what I'm made of, and not what I believe in. I don't think I ever thought that this would actually happen. I became scared and caught up in something I did not want to do. I didn't realize the gravity of my actions and how many people I've hurt. Hurt the Nice family and those that love Skylar. I hurt my parents and shamed my family and my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When it was David Nice's turn to speak, he said that while Rachel did lead police to the body, quote, Rachel Schof also murdered my daughter in cold blood. Skylar would not be where she was if it wasn't for Rachel Schoff. She should take her apologies and sit on them, because that's about what they're worth to me and my wife. Your Honor, I ask that you give her 40 years and plus, if you can. Skylar's aunt, Carol Michaud, said, And still to this day we do not know why they did this, and that is a question we would like an answer to. I hope you really and truly regret what you did, but it would never make us feel any better. David's brother Michael said, The admitted murderer sitting here today has nothing but blatant disregard for human life, and she deserves the maximum sentence. Prosecutor Marcia Ashdown said, 
Murder by a stranger is a horror. I imagine that Dave and Mary Niece wake up some mornings and there are an easy few minutes until the fact of Skylar's murder comes rushing back. And the unbearable must be born again and again for the rest of their lives. Surely a sentence as a juvenile is unthinkable. If Rachel Schoff has accepted full responsibility for her crime, she should not be asking to be sentenced as a juvenile. She should be willing to accept every day, every hour, and every minute of a proper adult sentence. The judge decided not to sentence Rachel as a juvenile. He said, that would by no means be justice in this case. He sentenced her to 30 years. At a press conference following the hearing, David Neese was asked what he would say to Rachel and Shelia if given the opportunity. His response, I hope you have a rotten, rotten life, because I... He trailed off, unable to continue. This is a clip from an appearance that David and Mary Neese made on the Dr. Phil show. Skylar was a great kid. She was just a fantastic little girl. Always looked out for others, tried to help her friends. The love she showed for me and Mary was absolutely phenomenal. Happy birthday. She was just like my little mini me. I mean, I gotta say, she was my world. I just love having her around every day because she was mine. Miss Kyler was our child. She was a good kid. And she had so much in front of her. Skylar was a daddy's girl, big time. We played softball, we played baseball, we played basketball, we played football. We did a lot of things that were a lot of fun. She always would just spout out, I love your mom, I love your dad. She'd walk through the room and see us, and whoever she saw first, love you dad, love you mom, it's what we miss the most. <laughs> Not to you, I love you every day. I love you every day, every single day. Knowing that I created something that good. She was just awesome. Sorry. I missed her so, so bad. just unreal how much you can miss a person. She was, she was our world. What do we do from here? What do you do now? I, I tell you what, you, uh, you spend the rest of your life celebrating her life. Just like we've tried to do here is in showing the wonderful aspects of her so it's not all dark and forgotten. And at some point, and I hope it's today, you're going to forgive yourself for not being there to protect your daughter on that road that night. You know, it's so hard sometimes for people that look at these senseless crimes to be able to foresee it because our minds can't go there. I mean, we, we cannot imagine taking someone out and, and stabbing them to death. We can't even think about that. So how can we predict 
that something like that is going to happen. It's almost impossible. It was your job to love her and care for her and nurture her every step of the way. And from everything we can learn, from everybody we talked to, the two of you did that, and you did it very, very well. Thank you for listening to Human Monsters. Bye for now.